everybody this is the fight game podcast double g here with as always my buddy john larocco we're gonna talk about a bunch of stuff tonight uh including all elite wrestling is the, is a real thing we we kind of talked about that after their new year's eve countdown but they had a rally and we'll talk about their rally uh, from tuesday um we'll talk about hulk hogan on raw back again doing his his uh, tribute to Mean Gene. We'll talk about a little bit about Russell Kingdom. We we won't recap the show, but uh, and some some MMA and boxing as well. And the main event of the show will be our review of the very first episode of Monday Night Raw. John, what's going on? I'm doing really good. I'm nice. I'm relaxed. You know me and my bad neck, my bad left shoulder, and I put on this cream that my wife Katrina got me. And at first, that was just a gimmick, but man, this stuff really works, dude. I'm like, no pain. I feel loose. I'm like, I'm gonna give you the name because I know you can you can use some yourself. Man. Yeah, what is it? I got fucking forget the name of it. <laughs> I was kind of, <laughs> I'm too lazy to get up and go grab it right now, but I'll, I'll definitely. Uh, it's not, <laughs> I'll send it, it to you. I was thinking about you when I this when I put it on. I was like, man, I feel good. I feel loose. I feel ready to go. Is it like a heat? It's like a like an icy hot kind of gimmick, but yeah, yeah, yeah. If I, to me, it kind of just kicks in faster, you know. So uh, at the beginning of the show, right out of the intro, uh, played a little bit of Hulk Hogan on Raw. As I said, he was on Raw to give his Mean Gene tribute. I think the idea of Hogan being back on Raw bothered some fans. Now I was a little skeptical as well. Because, you know, with WWE, everything seems like it's just like promotional and what, you know, sort of what's up their sleeve. But when I watched the segment, I thought it was really nice. And I thought, you know, if if there's a way to bring Hogan back, it's organic. It's not like they plan, you know, like you can plan for someone to pass away. And I thought it was a really nice thing, though. I also understand those who don't think he should be let back on, you know, WWE TV for uh, the racist things that he said in the past and, you know, everything that comes with being Hulk Hogan. But uh, but what did you think of him coming back and, and the whole, you know, the whole brouhaha of promoting him, you know, several days in advance as part of this Mean Gene uh, special, you know, video package? Um, at first, I was a little skeptical on it. thought maybe Hogan, Hogan would just come on and it wouldn't be about Mean Gene. It'd be more about Hogan. But when I watched the segment, I thought it, I thought it was really well done. I thought Hogan was really genuine. He didn't steal the spotlight. Um, 
I enjoyed his 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 tribute to Mean Gene. I thought it was I thought it was really well done. It wasn't too long. It was a perfect length, and I was really happy with it. It was and I don't know, man. It's 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 just good to see Hogan again. I get to hear the music again. Um, I was tripping out because I kept looking. I'm like, man, he's getting really old. And I was yeah. thinking like. I was thinking he's look like that one like lookalike fan that never like didn't look buff but like had like the blonde hair in the front row. You know that guy I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's yeah. in the Detroit area. My well, man, he's starting to look like that guy now. <laughs> well, but, uh, you remember uh, after he was on the Saudi Arabia show, he saw himself on the the network, and he was like, "Man, I need to lose some weight." <laughs> and so he said he was going to get back in the gym, but can you imagine all the pain that that guy is in trying to lift heavy weights again? Like I can't, I can't even fathom doing that. Yeah, he, you could tell just him walking to that ring how much of a a struggle it's getting. And you know he's a big he's a big man and those knees and those back and his you know we always you know about his back surgery. He has multiple back surgeries, so uh, and you can't and you can't really be Hulk Hogan. Unless you are, are somewhat muscular, right? Like he can't—he mm-hmm. can't just lose fifty pounds and diet down and say, "Oh, I'm just doing DDP yoga," and you know, and come out on TV. Like people will go, "Like, wow, what happened to that guy?" It's—it's—it it's, 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 reminds me of '93 uh, when he came back. Remember, he came yeah. back. I was, and I was like, "Wow, he looks in great shape." And everyone else was like, "Oh my God, he's so deflated." <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, it's funny you say '93, but I'm, I'm and to me '94 WCW mm-hmm, when he mm-hmm. wrestled, he was really like, well, I can't say he's thin, but you know, I mean, he like compared to his his, heyday. his peak yeah. right in the WWF in the '80s, like it was like it was almost like a whole different person, you know. It was just, it was different. It was a sight to see, you know, in a in a in a weird way. Like I, it, it took a while to get used to it. '94, like it didn't feel like Hogan until you know, till later on, I guess. So I, I, I think uh, as long as WWE doesn't use this as, you know, look at us, we're, you know, we, we remember people and look and Hulk Hogan is back and now he's all over the program and he's the new SmackDown GM. Like as long as it's not that, I'm totally fine with the way that they brought Hogan back. He, you know, he cut that promo. I, I do cringe whenever he uses the term WWE Universe because I'm like, oh, my God, it does not look correct coming out of his mouth. <laughs> I cringe when anyone says WWE Universe is just, just, just a, so unnatural and just a big, you know, corporate buzzword, you know, the yeah. thing to say. It just never, it's never natural. It's never natural in those promos. But I like the promo that he cut at the end. Now, I'm sure... It was written for him because you could tell like he was like trying to remember and, you know, he would stumble over a couple of different things. But it was very nice. You know, uh, he, you know, Mean Gene's going to be breaking up Bobby the Brain Heenan and Gorilla <laughs> Monsoon's fight. And, you know, he mentioned Macho Man and the Ultimate Warrior and Andre the Giant, special guest referee. I thought that was great. Like it just it it. it it makes you feel good about certain things uh, of your past and of your childhood. And, you know, they can always do that. And, and I thought it was good. But, yeah, you know, as long as they don't overdo this and pat themselves on the back for stuff like this, I think I think it was fine. And, and hopefully, you know, the, the problem is, is, you know, like we were mentioning before, like a lot of the guys as the, as we grew up um, as wrestling fans, you know, they're starting to get a lot older and and, you know, we do, we don't have the the um the early deaths like we had you know back in the in the 90s 
uh, in the early 2000s because of all the drugs and stuff. But but, you know, now those guys are all getting a lot older and, and they're dying, you know, sort of more naturally of causes and stuff. And that's going to be sad because you're, we're going to see stuff like this a lot more as as, you know, as the years go by. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's what I kept thinking about, honestly, when I was watching that. And I see Hogan, and I was like, man, what? when Hogan goes, that's going to be a big, that's a big news. That's a big story. Yeah, well, we'll talk about Hogan uh, a little bit more when we get to Raw. He's not on Raw, but he becomes a pretty prevalent character uh, as they march toward WrestleMania. And, and I actually have some interesting tidbits around that time frame of, you know, early January 93 that where he is involved. But we'll bring him up a little bit later. Uh, and let's move on to Wrestle Kingdom because we <laughs> we braved the evening. We sat and watched, uh, you know, all five hours of that show. I guess it was four hours plus the one hour uh, prelim match. And uh, it was a great show. I really enjoyed it. I think the theme of the show is outside of these, you know, our big three or four matches. We're going to kind of streamline a lot of the undercard. And we're going to save all the hot stuff for the mat, the four matches that everyone wants to see. And I thought that worked pretty well. Uh, and the night was, a lot of it was about uh, the people who they were not sure were coming back losing matches, which is probably a smart way to protect uh, your business. Uh, but at the end, your, your guy, Hiroshi Tanahashi, yet again, IWGP champion, beating Kenny Omega. What were what was your overall thought about that match? Because I think that was probably one of the matches you were most looking forward to uh, in quite a long time. Yeah, that match was great. Um, it was uh, definitely the best match on the show, which, it, which should be the main event. And Tanahashi, classic Tanahashi. Um, I felt it was a more of a Tanahashi match than an Omega match. I felt... But it was still good. I mean, it was, I mean, I, I, I love a Tanahashi match. So, I, I I'm trying to compare it to other matches and see what I like better. But I, mean, I thought it was really good. I thought it was a really good match. Definitely, um, I enjoyed Jericho and Naito a lot too, as well. And I enjoyed the whole pace of the card. I thought it was uh, really well laid out. At the it would have been uh, the 4 a.m. mark as we were marching <laughs> towards the end. Uh, I wasn't getting tired because I was, I, you know, I was communicating with other people in our Facebook group who were up and watching the show. So I was kind of wired from that and all, all the caffeine. But were you were you getting tired at the end there? Because I, I kind of feel like maybe I should rewatch like the last three matches because I'm wondering if there were things that I missed just on the, you know, just because it was late and. And, you know, it's it's not normal time to watch wrestling uh, at 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I was hitting a wall, like, right at right like towards the end of that Jericho-Naito match. But I was able to uh, power through and finish it. Heartbreak Kid Rubio. <laughs> <laughs> he missed that main event, but I uh, hope he ended up watching it the next day after work. And he's crazy. He's like, he's the Iron Man man. He went to work the next day. I, I was know. like, I was like, man, I gotta sleep on this couch because <laughs> I'm scared to drive home because I was so tired. Yeah. So uh, I, I, if I find, I mean, there's still so many things I want to watch, but I, I would love to at least watch the last match. Uh, maybe this is the last match, but um, so. Yeah. Out, here. Outside of uh, 
at, I guess right after the aftermath of Wrestle Kingdom is, you know, New Year's Dash. I, I've had so many issues with uh, New Japan World lately, so I still didn't finish New Year's Dash or New Year Dash. Um, mm-hmm. And, and <clears throat> I mean, the main angles were just reestablishing the Bullet Club and, you know, no, uh, the, they're setting up the, the New Beginning tours and Fantastic Mania stuff. And I guess Tanahashi is going to face uh, Kushida in Kush- one of Kushida's last matches, which will be really fun. But uh, but more of the story was like who's leaving than who is kind of staying and 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 working the next couple months because Kushida flat out came out and said that he was leaving. He didn't actually say he was leaving to WWE, but I think we all believe that that's what he's talking about when he said he wanted to you know take it to the next stage or whatever the the words that he used. And then Omega using uh, the the uh, periodical of uh, Tokyo Sports said that he was leaving New Japan and was either going to go to WWE or AEW. And I think um, a lot of smart people who know sort of the way that people use that magazine or that newspaper uh, believe that, you know, he's kind of using it for leverage and for storyline. And, you know, maybe he's, it was, you know, not the, the actual exact story that that came out you know it's quite possible that that he still would like to work new japan so all of that stuff happens and then you have the fallout and it within that fallout is the beginning of aew with their rally that they held yesterday at uh, jacksonville the jackson uh, jacksonville jaguar stadium and uh their big announcement was chris jericho which I think they desperately needed because that rally was sort of lacking to me. Um, and uh, but they, I mean they are doing some pretty interesting things. Um, just to, I'll just quickly go over uh, the announcements. So SCU and Britt Baker, who are heavily rumored, are obviously there. You know, in addition to all of the elite guys uh, who were already announced and signing contracts and stuff. Uh, and one of the interesting things is the partnership they have with OWE out of China. And I want to talk to you about their roster uh, in a little bit. Uh, and then uh, they announced Double or Nothing will be May 25th at the MGM Grand in Vegas. I already got my hotel for that weekend, so I will definitely be going out there. Um, MJF, who was on MLW TV, Joey Janela and Penelope Ford were at the rally, so they look to be involved with AEW. And from what I understand, Janela will still be able to work certain indies and probably his Game Changer shows. Um, and then uh, Pac, a.k.a. Neville, showed up to confront Hangman Page. That was a nice surprise. Uh, and I think, you know, more for the, you know, for the hardcore fans, we're really excited to see that. Uh, they mentioned a second big show in Jacksonville, um, and then they showed Chris Jericho as sort of the, the main event of that whole thing. Um, what did you think of uh, some of the announcements that they made? And then, you know, I, I, do, I do want you to talk about the OWE stuff out of China. Um, I thought all this, the announcements were good. I thought uh, no real big surprises other than the... Um, or, you know, the OEW guys, the Strong Hearts group uh, coming in to work with them. Um, that was the biggest surprise for me. But, you know, Jericho, I expected um, 
you know, Britt Baker, SCU, we kind of already knew about them. And I was just, uh, you know, it was, it was a nice, nice rally. I thought they, Pac was a nice surprise. I kind of find it funny. He showed up in his wrestling gear. <laughs> Randy Orton's his hero, man. Must be. Yeah, I guess so. It was just, it was a, just a funny thing. He came out uh, with his wrestling gear to on a rally. The, no match is going to take place. Maybe he thought it was because you know. But uh, and you know, he had the Dragon Gate belt, and so that's kind of interesting. If they're going to be working, you know, what does that mean? Do they work? Are they working with Dragon Gate? And, yep. And uh, and it's interesting because Stronghearts, the OW group, SEMA, you know, he left. He had some issues with Dragon Gate. He left. And took T Hawk, L Lindemann, and a few others to go with the OWE. So I don't maybe that relationship between Dragon Gate and SEMA has now been not as bad because we we've definitely seen that uh, Dragon Gate has been suffering a little bit with uh, the loss of that talent. So maybe all this together and then how does this go with New Japan and all that? It's interesting to see, but. What really excited me excited me about this whole thing was the I was really shocked to see the Stronghearts uh, being uh, being brought in. I think it's a smart move. Uh, they're no one. They're they're not gonna, you know, people are not gonna see Stronghearts and want to watch. But like, if you're just tuning in to see a Jericho or a Cody Rhodes or a Young Bucks, and you've never seen Sema, L. Lindemann and T. Hawk, like you're gonna be surprised. And and uh, T. Hawk's a legit. Ace, a legit star in the making. Um, he has all. He has it all: the look, charisma, wrestling ability. Um, L. Lindemann is. I just love that guy. He's like to me like a modern day Tully Blanchard of the group. Like he's like he bumps around, makes everyone look great. He just has a cocky attitude. You know, he it just he's just he's just fantastic. He's just, I mean, and so I think. Uh, Young Bucks brought them in to work them because I think they're going to have some hell of a tag team matches. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited about that. And it made me excited about OE. A- gosh. A- I got all these acronyms. AEW because, like, they're looking outside the box at, at different talents and, you know, trying to get a WWE guy or something like that. You know, they're, they're looking and, and, and promoting some new talent. I really, I really enjoy that. I think you got to bring some fresh faces into your promotion instead of what people have seen already. So our own Alan Forel in our pro wrestling awards, he, he brought up the strong hearts in, in the, the sort of the breakout star uh, award. And here's what he wrote. He said, nothing in wrestling caught me off guard as much as the strong hearts story. Seema taking his crew to wrestle one and DDT and turning those promotions on their heads, boosting interest to massive degrees. It deserves all the credit in the world. The cool thing is 2018 was only the start. So, Alan, a little profe- pro, uh, <clears throat> a little bit of, uh, 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 what do you call it? Uh, someone, who, someone who speaks things into the future. Uh, so... They, uh, you know, I'm really interested in that because obviously I don't have a ton of, I don't have a ton of uh, experience in, in seeing wrestling from that side of things. That's why you're on this show. <laughs> and, uh, and, but I am looking forward to it. You sent me a, a match and I'm going to, I'm going to definitely watch it and, and do a little bit of research on that just to make sure that I'm up and up and up on that stuff. But, uh, but yeah, like, so I, I think, um, 
related to the AEW rally is obviously the big elephant in the room is what happens with Kenny Omega. And I think most people believe that he's definitely AEW bound. But the bigger question is, what does that mean with his relationship to New Japan? Like I said, there was the story that came out in Tokyo Sports. And people think that some of that is sort of a leverage play. Um, And he... I, I, I sort of feel like he has the ability, maybe, maybe he's the only one, of getting the two companies to work together. Now, the reason why this is hard is because, as we know, New Japan and ROH have the partnership for the United States. And does, you know, does does New Japan want to create a partnership with a U.S.-based company uh, who is sort of, uh, who's definitely their competitor in the U.S., especially for the uh, U.S. expansion for New Japan. So all of that is really sort of, I think it's the most interesting thing right now. Obviously, they're, you know, they're not going to start for a little while, but that is the intrigue for me is, you know, Kenny Omega is the carrot. And obviously, AEW is so much stronger with access to Ring of Honor, ta- or I'm sorry, to New Japan talent. And that doesn't mean that, you know, Okada is going to work like all these shows. It means that you have the ability to bring these guys in when when necessary. And also the flip side is for New Japan to continue working with uh, the elite, which, you know, they're a big part of their business, especially in the U.S. So that whole partnership and scenario is really interesting to me. And I think it's probably uh, the the big story, at least um, non-WWE for me, uh, for the early months of this year. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting how that how that game plays out. Um, and, uh, you know, ROH side, if you think on ROH side, how they think about this, you know, like, that's their ticket for their house show business, you know, like, you know, bringing in the Japan guys and helping them increase their houses. So, I mean, and with, if they work with both, what makes them so special, right? So yep. it's, it's, uh, it's, that's the biggest, that's the most interesting game right now in 2019 see how it's going to get laid out. Um, I kind of, I mean, just like a, I kind of want to see AEW go without New Japan and, and see what they can do and create some new stars and stuff. But I understand, you know, you want to do all you can right off the bat and, you know, have a new Japan in your corner is, is, is big for them too. So, uh, but part of me, I, I just want to see what they're, what they could do creatively on their own without new Japan. I, I, I'm just really curious to see that. Yeah. And so part of that is who do they bring in? They've like like we mentioned they've announced Janela and and uh, Pac and MJF, but there is going to be a depth issue without New Japan early on mm-hmm. because if you look at the whole independent scene, a lot of these guys are already. They're already they've already been picked up. We talked last last week or the week before about Will Ospreay, um, Zack Sabre, uh, and then even before that it was PCO and Brody King and Marty Skrull's group. And so, who do, who do you find? Because I, I definitely think there there is talent out there that is 
under uh, that that doesn't have a ton of visibility. Like we could name guys on, on the West Coast immediately who, given a shot, could be great sort of depth talent for all elite wrestling. But when you get to like these name guys on the indie scene, a lot of those guys have been swooped up. And WWE has has swooped up the majority of them, right? But so who's left? Like, who do you think is out there who could come into AEW right away and be, you know, and be uh, a player for them? Because, uh, you know, I was, you know, we I was trying to think of this last night and I'm like, you know, yeah, there's guys, but 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 could they come in immediately and and, you know, be be draws for AEW? I'm not quite sure there's that many people out there. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see, like, what the contracts are are like for guys like an Impact. Like, a Brian Cage would be big for them. A Willie Mack would be big for them. Uh, the Rascals, I think, would be a good pickup for them. Uh, you know, like, because Impact can't be... <laughs> they can't be holding too strong on these guys with, with their contracts, uh, you know, compared you know, to what AEW could be offering right yeah. now. So, I mean, I definitely would poach from there. Um, you know, guys like the Chris Brothers and Sammy Callahan could, you know, you know, working with them, you know, I think that would be a good group to pick up. Um, you know, like, but you're, but you're, like, you're talking about you're talking about guys who are already under contract, though, who would probably not be available for like if you wanted to start something, you know, let's say. For but like, they're gonna start in October. But so. I mean, but they do have a show in Memorial, on Memorial Day weekend, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing that would be sort of the beginning of all of this. But you're right, you're right. Like the 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 most the, when when you need really need to secure guys is gonna be later in the year. But but yeah, I mean, I'm even thinking, you know, come for May. May. Yeah, who they got to fill out the card? Yeah. I mean, you also, it's a pay-per-view. You also don't need to, like, it could just be a three-hour show. It doesn't have to be, like, a roster of 25 guys on that one show. You Absolutely. Know? Like you could, it could be a nice six- to seven-match show. Give some time because, hey, remember last time, like, they ran out of time because so many people took longer or whatever. So, I mean, they kind of sh- tighten it up and just feature, you know, the – who they have now a women's match or two and you have the tag match with the young bucks and most like i'm guessing it's going to be t hawk and lindeman or maybe sema from owe and you can you know kick off uh jericho and cody or something like that you got Pac versus hangman they already kind of you know did that i don't, I don't know if janelle is going to be ready for Made it, I don't think so to work. Uh, I doubt, seriously doubt that it's seriously leg injury to work yeah. uh, MJF. Um, so I mean, if you fill the card up, you know, like I said, five to you know, it looks like people you gotta look at people they use that uh, all in right. There's a, a Matt Cross, not like he's a game changer guy, but he's a you know, a talent that you could feature on your show, um, stuff like that, you know, guys yeah, like where, that. I mean, where do where do guys like pentagon and phoenix fit in like can they even be signed to u.s deals you know i think they're uh they're lucha i think at least one of them is still like on a lucha underground contract and uh you, well, you, you know ray phoenix is working everywhere he's working lw and and impact and 
triple a and cmll so i don't know what what his contract is but you know i know what those what's up with those loops underground (laughs) what's the status of those contracts because uh we we need to we need to bring jeff cobb back to 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 let us know how that stuff works yeah so i mean there's there's i also would like to see just find some diamond in a rough that no one saw coming you know that no one saw coming and and I'm, I'm curious to know, like, how, you know, because these contracts, we got, we got, we talk about MOW, like, how strong are those contracts? They can't be that strong. It can't be, you know, a year. But I mean, maybe they be are. some kind of clause. It but, can't but, be, like, a, a clause to get out, though. You know what I mean? Like, well, I, I think, uh, I think, I th- I'm trying to remember, because Dave and I talked to Court, and I'm trying to remember if he mentioned terms, but. It does. It does seem like you know these guys have the ability to do other stuff, but I think MLW has like the set dates that they're going to do their tapings. Mm-hmm. Like you know they they are first priority. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's any outs in their contract. Like if WWE comes or like I don't think so because or else you know the court wouldn't talk about all the tampering stuff that that yeah, was going on. Yeah. So um, okay. So last question about this, and then we'll move on, which is. You 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 really enjoy the young talent scouting the young talent piece of this. If you were these guys, like how would you you know? Uh, the I think the young bucks are are on the west coast, right? Uh, mm-hmm. What Cody is probably in uh, Atlanta, maybe that that's where he calls home. Uh, you know, but he lives in L.A. though, so he's on the west coast as well. Okay, so maybe he is in L.A. Um, you know, the whole, the sort of the, the con family is probably like out of Jacksonville, I would assume, because that's where the Jaguars mm-hmm. are. Uh, and I, you know, so how do you do the scouting piece? Because, you know, essentially they're probably not going to be wrestling too much this, this year until, you know, to get this thing going. And, you know, the next nine months or whatever are all about double or nothing. And then, you know, maybe all in two plus the TV and all that stuff. So how would you try to find the diamond in the rough guys? Like, you know, we always bring up someone like Jungle Boy, uh, and, you know, he was written up about in Sports Illustrated's uh, website today. But, like, how could, how do, how do they even, you know, how do they even find guys like that? Well, what would be your strategy in finding guys to fill out some of the depth of your roster? I mean, you could do this. The, the simplest thing is to, put out an ad basically saying that, you know, if you're looking to want to wrestle for AEW, you can submit your one match and, uh, you know, of, of a within, I like when guys would send me like, Hey, I want to work for APW or career or something like that. Like I would always ask for a, a recent match with a minimum of six months, you know, to see how their work is. Cause they'll send, sometimes people send you stuff from like, you know, three years ago. And like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, send me something now, right? You know, that's why I want to see how you're, how you, how you are now, and stuff like that to kind of get the ball rolling. And if there, if you see someone that you like, like someone that kind of sticks out on video, maybe you take a special trip out to see them work on an indie show, you know, or or you have a certain someone that you trust to scout talent to to do that. Like, hey, go, you know, just like in, you know, just like uh, Major League Baseball, right? Mm-hmm. They have scouts that go out to these high school games or college games and take notes and report back. And then, and then they, they trust the scout and the scout, Hey, yeah, this guy's worth investing in this guy's or this guy's not right. And then when you, you know, obviously when you go watch him wrestle and compete, you also interview the guy, see how he is, see his attitude, see his, 
see if he's a, you know if he's a moron or or, <laughs> you know, or you know what I mean like you just see if he's a good quality person that you want on your roster. I, I want to see that. I want to see a diamond and rough being picked. That's that 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 stuff excites me. Like I we we know we didn't see this guy coming. You know like that's it's it's uh, I just remember like you know like years ago like 2013. I actually you know Fred you know Fred Yehi is yep. He's a great 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 junior heavyweight great talent and he was just out in georgia and i saw him wrestle I just, like it was like on a whim i just kind of stumbled upon a match and i hit him up and i was just like hey you ever find yourself in california because i couldn't afford to fly him out from georgia to yeah yeah california he's like man i would love to do that and like next thing you know he starts getting booked and evolve and you know like a year later and i was like man you know so stuff like that like you know finding a guy like that has like such talent you know now, Cody, he, before he signed up with ROH, um, he basically did the sort of the, the whole indie thing, right? Like mm-hmm. he, he wrestled at all these different promotions. He wanted to wrestle these dream matches against all these different guys. And I'm, I'm sure he made relationships with those independent promoters and you know, obviously he was at APW. He worked the Cow Palace. He knows... Uh, APW uh, promoter Marcus Mack. He knows you a little bit. Do guys like that utilize those relationships? And and would Cody go, hey, Marcus, if you know, here's kind of what we're looking for. If you know of this guy, like, just keep an eye and let me know. Give me a heads up because we're looking for guys like this. And, you know, because I still want them to, to, you know, I don't want to take anything away from you. If 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 you do give you know if you do link us up with somebody they could totally keep working for you you know as long as it's not like a pay per view or a TV taping like do those kind of things happen in the business? I can see that happening. Yeah, I think it happens now, right? Look at WWE with Evolve, right? You know, you can use her. You know, I guess now they're I don't know. I guess now they're on. Are they using them on film now? If I remember correctly, but you know they're using Evolve as a basically like a like a like a third string of the developmental process, right? Sending guys there and stuff. So, and helping them out. So yeah, I could see young, you have to have Jeff Cody could definitely call Marcus or find out, Hey, you know, what about this guy or, you know, and, and check it on talent. Yeah, that, that definitely, cause Cody did go around a lot of places, wrestled, you know, worked a lot of people and, and I'm sure he remembered a lot of talent out there. Like, like, can you imagine that guy like Jacob fought too? That's be a guy to get that, you know, who's, some people know right now, you know, he's not a big indie name or anything like that right now, but, you know, he shows up on AEW TV. You let him do his, you know, you feature his strengths. You know, he'd make a big impression on that debut show. I mean, you know, something like that, a guy like that, right? Yep. That a guy that comes out like, who, who's this guy? Bam, Jacob Foss, you know, bam. Oh my God. Oh my God. He did that. You know, how, how does he do this? The moonsault that big, you know, just net and, How's he so fast? Next, you know, guy, you're, guy, you're promoted. Yeah, for for some reason, I always figured that Jacob would end up with Court because Court has such a relationship with mm-hmm. that family. But you're right; like he should be on that uh, on something like this. Uh, and and you know, if they do, if they do get get TV or something like, I do hope they do a couple squash matches here and there to like showcase some of the guys that they're bringing in. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, I think I think so. I was I was I was interesting when Cody said results will matter, which 
I mean, that's great. <laughs> As we know, right? That's, that's what we all want. But, like, you know how things go in wrestling. Things get away from all that. And funky things happen. And, you know. But uh, I'm curious to see how. I, I'm really curious to see how their presentation is. Is it. What's their product going to be like? I, yeah, I think they're a bunch of smart guys. So I think I think it's going to be good. And this, this for me, what's got me really in a positive way with them is just just a, just the idea of them bringing in the strong hearts. That's 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 a that's a that's impressive. That's that's thinking outside the box. That's looking at looking at talent and seeing talent. And they know that a strong heart is not going to you know. For the casual audience, like wow, who, who are these guys? You know, we gotta see these guys, right? Yeah, advertise them. But once they get in the ring, they, they they feel confident that they're gonna press and 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 they're gonna become stars. So that's 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 great. I you you know me, I read you know almost anything sports related or pop culture related, and I was reading this piece uh, from the Ringer by a writer named Brian Curtis. And he was doing an oral history on when the Fox Network secured the rights to the NFL. Uh, and they basically – CBS had the, had the NFC historically and Fox just like over outbid like crazy to get the, the rights to the NFC. And so this whole piece was about like how they did it, you know, Rupert Murdoch and they, there was no network before and sort of this, this decision – to buy the rights, like really shape the network. And so you remember John Madden, Mm -hmm. who was, you know, the most famous football broadcaster of all time. And so there was this thing where, you know, all of a sudden CBS, his home network since like the early eighties was, uh, no longer had football. So there was no use for him. And so he was kind of this hot free agent and it was like Fox who just bought the rights to the, to the NFC it was Monday Night Football. ABC wanted him. Obviously, NBC probably you know would have wanted him as well. And he mentioned about going to Fox. Uh, I think he got something like eight million bucks a year, which is insane. And I think he, I think that made him a higher paid employee than any player in the NFL at that time, <laughs> which was amazing. But basically, he was talking about startups, and he goes somewhere in everyone's life. You ought to be with a startup. If you're with a startup that's well-funded, it's going to be fun because you start off with a clean piece of paper. And I mentioned this before, like I've worked for startups my whole life pretty much. But it made me wonder, not it make me wonder, but I sort of related it to All Elite Wrestling because they have such a they have everything kind of working against them in starting something like this cuz WWE's like the big bad wolf. And they're going to do anything and everything legally or illegally to stop AEW from being a prosperous company. Mm-hmm. And so you're like staring into like, you know, there's just this huge company and just doubt and naysayers and just people going like, ah, they're not going to survive. Like, it's very easy to go, well, I sort of understand how this thing works. Most startups don't survive past, you know, two or three years, probably not going to work. But at the same time, you do start off with this clean piece of paper. In a sense, for these guys, what they get to do is they get to write whatever their story is going to be, right? Like you are not 
you are not in the hands of Vince McMahon and 37 and a half writers, you know, basically writing your success or failure at their whim. And I think that's that I think that's pretty cool. And, and they should be, uh, you know, they should be propped up for that because it takes courage. Uh, they 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 all got really high money offers from WWE from what it sounds like. And they're a little bit of renegades in a sense. And, and in order to have that sort of startup spirit, you have to be a little bit of a renegade because, like I said, there is so much risk in a startup because they often fail. And for these guys, the uh, the light at the end of the tunnel seems to be, you know, something that's very uh, attractive to them. And I, I think it's great. Now, the, the thing that I think people should be rooting for, uh, and this may be hard for some hardcore WWE fans, you should root for their success because at the end of the day, Vince McMahon is at his best when there's competition. And you already sort of saw it at SmackDown where they were not allowing people in the building with AEW uh, merchandise on. So there's already a little bit of a reaction. And, you know, I'm I'm not here to say, oh, you know, it's all about AEW and I hate WWE because it's obviously not the thing. I, but I, I do want to see them succeed because I think when you have more than one healthy thing out there, it's best for consumers. And we are consumers, essentially, is what we are. We talk about this stuff and we watch it and you know we text about it. We're, we're, we're just hardcore consumers. And so for us, and I would say for everyone, you should root for their success because it's only going to benefit the entire wrestling scene. And you can already see it with guys you know making really good money because they're free agents at the perfect time yeah they do they definitely should root for us it's not a bad thing to have more wrestling that's of good quality you know so i'm excited uh you know the big thing is securing that tv deal uh getting a good money for tv you know not just being on tv but getting good money for the tv so that's gonna be huge did you know that there is a Takeover UK show this weekend. I mean, I knew of the Takeover UK <laughs> show. I know they're doing one. It kind of creeped up on me that it's already here. Um, I forgot it's this weekend. And Ele- I eleven a eleven a.m. our time. Uh, that's Saturday. Yeah. Okay, so I'll probably watch it Saturday night. I will watch it. Um, I'm sure it'll be a solid show. I have not been watching NXT UK. Just, it's just there's just so much content out there to watch. It's just, you know, it just just have no time for it. But I will watch the Takeover show, and um, I'm sure it's going to be good because you know when it comes to when it comes to take, these Takeover shows, we've seen the success. Like I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a real bad Takeover show or anything that's been less than you know very good. You know, so uh, I'm sure. W- it's going to be really good. I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in Tony Storm versus Ray Ripley because, uh, you know, I mean, it, you know, Tony Storm, everyone loves her, but I'm, a, I mean, you know, me, I'm a huge uh, Rhea Ripley supporter. I think she's a future superstar. So, um, and so is Tony Storm, but I think Rhea just has, I'm just so interested in her because she's came from soccer and, um, you know, that wasn't an indie, didn't work indies, and she's really taken to this, like, to a fish to water. So, uh, I'm, I'm excited to play that match, definitely. And see what happens if Walter shows up, you know, see how that's going to impact. Uh, and maybe after the TakeOver UK, I'll, I'll watch the, the show. 
Probably not, but I will. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. It's not a product that I plan on following, but I am interested in, in several. I mean, and, and, you know, who doesn't like watching Pete Dunn wrestle as well? So, yeah. Okay, so uh, a couple of other things before we get into our raw review of episode one. Uh, I don't know if you heard this, but. Manny Pacquiao and Adrian Broner are fighting, uh, I think it's the same day as the first UFC on ESPN Plus show. And the price point for this pay-per-view came out. And, you know, you are a casual fan. You're not going to be someone who buys every boxing show. I mean, and if it's on and people are watching, you'll have some interest. But Manny Pacquiao versus Adrian Broner... $75. $75. Yeah. No. <laughs> I, I know, and I know them really well, actually. I, I do know Broner well, and I do know, of course, Pacquiao well. But, but you know, older Pacquiao, Broner, who such a character, such a good personality, but I don't think he ever got to the point where, you know, where a lot of people expect him to be. I think that, I yeah, think, I think this is his first pay-per-view, his first pay-per-view fight. I think it's... Uh, I think it's a little high price, but you know, boxing has always been kind of high price when it comes to pay-per-views. How, what do you think? What's the buy rate? What are, you, what are you predicting? So I think the thinking here is – so I think I think it's a few things. So Mayweather and Pacquiao and Mayweather and McGregor were 100 bucks, And so you established that the ultimate big boxing matches – are now a hundred dollars for the show, and so what that means is your next level boxing shows, uh, instead of being sixty bucks or seventy bucks, are now seventy five, and I think that's the way they look at it. Now, is someone going to not buy a show at seventy five dollars? that would buy a show at $60. I'm not sure there's that many people who look at $15 and go, you know what, I'm out. And so if they do their 300,000 buys at $75 instead of $60, that's better for them, right? It's better for the the entire uh, premier championship, uh, premier boxing championship uh, uh, organization. Um I just don't see this fight doing that much more than, you know, 300,000, which was the last show that Manny Pacquiao drew on pay-per-view. Previous to that, he had been on ESPN Plus because he was with Bob Arum. I'm sorry, not ESPN Plus, but ESPN. He was with Bob Arum, and Bob Arum was putting his fights on ESPN kind of to kick off his, his relationship with ESPN. And so Pacquiao is not with Bob Arum anymore. He's with the Premier Boxing Champions and Al Heyman. And I think this is right that Al does put him on pay-per-view because I think there's still a little bit of drawing power with Manny left. Uh, you know, Manny was once the uh, the uh, probably the the second biggest drawing card uh, in 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 sports uh, from you know that 2009 to 2013 or 14, whenever that that time frame was. But uh, but yeah, I, I don't know how much he's got left. He just turned forty. Uh, Broner has always been about his ability and an inability to take advantage of his talents, and so it's an interesting matchup. Uh, I saw the 
the all access show, which was good. Broner's a, definitely a character. Manny is a little bit, you know, they, they, they were showing a lot of his stuff with his, uh, his home and, and, and helping people out. And, you know, it's all about, you know, feeding, helping feed the poor and stuff. So he comes off as a great guy and a famous guy uh, as well. And I think the next episode will kick in sort of the training. I guess, I don't think Freddie Roach was in his corner the last fight, but it looks like maybe Freddie's either in his corner or helping him train again. So that's a good story. But, uh, but yeah, I think this may be a situation where I, I may, check it out like at a movie theater like we had talked about for the Deontay Wilder fight um because they are going to do that in the in the movie theaters as well so that might be my my thing and and but the the other thing is that they're going head up against that UFC show which you know I think there's gonna be a lot of eyeballs on that UFC show as well so that's going to be a a little bit of a rough night for combat sports fans yeah I mean uh if you end up going to that movie theater check it out I think I'll try to do my best to make that too because I was Bum that couldn't make the Wilder fight. I was planning on it and just kind of fell off. But, but yeah, um, Broner is like he's just never really reached. I remember, I remember when Broner was coming up. I remember I was actually getting back into boxing, diving a little deeper than just being a casual fan and watching a lot of the Showtime and HBO shows. And I remember Broner had all his personality and his flash, and they're really pushing him hard. And and all of a sudden, like he just never seemed to get that get that spot where he was the one of the top guys, you know? Yeah. A lot of, a lot of talent. Um, You know, they tried to portray him as sort of like a Mayweather protege sort of fought in a similar style as Mayweather, but yeah, he, he's just never, he just never got to that next level and this is his opportunity. So it'll be interesting. So the, the, uh, the uh, UFC news that came out were some possible fights and I just wanted to get your, point of view on them because i know not to say that you're at the tail end of your ufc fandom but i know that you're a little down on the sport a lot of people are and i wanted to see what you thought about the three fights that they announced um john jones well and i actually i don't think this is announced yet but i think it's heavily rumored john jones against anthony smith Ooh, man <laughs> get out my wallet <laughs> No, <laughs> I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't care about John Jones anymore. He's just gonna walk through that guy. I'm guessing, or it could be a miracle upset. You never know. But no, it's not gonna be a miracle upset. No, I don't think so. Either. <laughs> I think he's gonna he's gonna destroy that guy. But um, yeah, not really high about that one. No. Give Give me John Jones and Yoel Romero in like the monster match. That's what I want. Yeah, that'd be cool. I'll be down for that. Uh, Ty- Tyron Woodley against uh, Usman, and the thing that sucks about this, and you know, I, sucks is is just sort of my opinion. But remember when uh, they had Colby Covington, and <laughs> and you know he was he won the interim welterweight title, and then he got hurt, and so now it's like we need to give Usman a shot, and now it's Woodley against Usman, and Colby is like kind of left out, and I know a lot of people don't like Colby. I, I'm not gonna really judge him on on his his trump loving stuff but it's just it just seems like the ufc is the most disloyal organization to their fighters where these guys get hurt legitimately in the cage or in training trying to be the best version of themselves and ufc's like nope 
we got this pay-per-view and we need to pretend like it's important so we got to make a title fight and sorry buddy but your interim title didn't mean anything when you won it and it means even less now we're moving on exactly and and don't forget uh Dana White once called Usman boring, but all of a sudden now he's this great guy and a great fighter. It's going to be exciting, you know, so no, not hype for that one either. <laughs> all right. My, this is my last one, and I saved this for last. Derek, my balls was hot, Lewis. <laughs> Love Derek Lewis. Against Junior Dos Santos. Love Junior Santos even more. So I'm actually pumped for that this fight. It's going to be... Someone's getting knocked out for sure. Um, I don't want to see JDS get knocked out. I don't want to see JDS get hurt at all. I don't want to see him ever get punched to the face again after those matches, those <laughs> fights with Kane Velasquez. I just love Junior Dos Santos. I just love that guy. I want to meet him. I want to talk to him. Uh, he just seems like such a positive guy and, and great energy. And I'm a, as you can probably tell by this way I'm talking about him, I'm a big JDS fan. So I'm hoping for a big knockout for JDS. Um, Actually, I am excited for that fight. Really am. And that's one I would definitely want to make my try to make time to see. So when's yeah. that going to March, right? Uh, it's a it's an ESPN Plus show. So, yeah, I think around that time. So what's your account again? <laughs> 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 yeah, my, that account that I have is going to get a lot. It's going to get a lot of action. <laughs> all right so i think we're ready and you know i think a lot of people well, are are interested in our in our our raw review well yeah but real quick sorry to, to postpone it just a little longer going back to ma um i recently watched the pfl final pro fight league on nbc sports yep um they had their they're building up these tournaments building up to all these championship fights uh, on New Year's Eve, and it was a really entertaining show. I really enjoyed all of it. I enjoyed the presentation. And um, in 2019, I'm going to make a point to uh, follow them. And, and uh, I don't know about tuning in live, but definitely uh, take their shows and watch it soon after they end. So. What do you think about Kayla? Um, I think there's no one in her league right now that they have in her division at 155 pounds. But uh, I mean, she, you know, she wanted to box, but she ended up just going ahead and taking that girl down and slapping an arm bar on. She's, you know, she's, she's good. She's, she's, she has a, not much of a, I don't have, she doesn't have much of a personality in my opinion, but, uh, I mean, she's massive. Like, like, I'm not, not saying that in a, in a bad way. Like she's just so muscular. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Totally. And I know people like my coworker who I talk MMA with, he was like, maybe cyborg or fighter. I guess Cyborg's a free agent. I didn't know that. Is she? Is she do you know I that? Th- I think uh, I, I heard something about her contract. If they don't have her fight like by the end of March, I think her contract is up. So there may yeah. be some impetus for the UFC to have her fight before that. Or maybe they're just like, well, you know, we don't have anything for you. So we, mm-hmm. we won't, you know, we won't book a fight. But yeah, I think that's and, you know. Even coming off of that loss, you know, may, maybe there is interest in, in in something like that because you know Cyborg does get down to you know whatever one forty five, but I'm sure one fifty five is probably a better weight for her, anyways. Yeah, I mean it was a good show, like a lot of good, you know, because you know they win a million dollars and plus a championship, right? And uh, the first guy that won it was kind of like a journeyman fighter, and he was like had a really good speech, like. I'm not going to go buy a big car 
or, you know, I'm like secure my house for my family and make sure my girls go to college. Like it was like a cool speech, you know, like, yeah, you know, I just really got behind a lot of these and they, they, they did really well on personality profiles, like before the fight. Like I didn't know a lot of these guys and I ended up really being into the fight just for those personality profiles. And the guy that they're pushing hard, this kid Cooper Jr. from Hawaii, um, he lost his fight. But his personality profile, man, was fantastic. He trains with his dad and his brother and his mom, cooks the food for the, you know, he doesn't train in a normal fight, you know, camp, you know, but he just trains with his family and and he just wants to provide for his family. And he starts, like, tearing up. That's all, that's what he cares about most, like, providing for his family. And, like, and, like this, like, you know, you don't really see a fighter tearing up right in the beginning of, you know what I mean? Like, all these personality profiles, they're usually talking bad, right? Well, I'm going to beat this guy up. But, you know, and like, I, like, I'm like, yeah, all right. <laughs> and then he, unfortunately, does a, does the worst strategy ever. So maybe he needs to join an MA camp. But, uh, uh, but uh, and he lost his fight, which is a, such a heartbreaking moment. But uh, he's a good talent. He'll, he'll be back. But so, so 2019, I'm going to, you know, it, it, it kind of got me like that. Like when I first saw Bellator in 2010, like, oh, this is cool. You know, it's not UFC. It's its own you know, I kind of like the vibe, so uh, I'm I'm gonna just give uh, PFL a go in 2019. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think uh, I think a lot of people kind of enjoyed the product. I I don't know uh, what the audience was for that show, but they do have uh, they do have Kayla, and I think people will continue to to try to find the shows that she's on. Though if she keeps winning so quickly, all you're kind of waiting for is like the the Twitter. Uh, the 90 second video that comes out like a half an hour after her fights yeah that's true very true yeah she's really worse she uh she wanted like she said in her post-match uh promo that she wanted to uh show off her boxing because you know she's wanted just to be a one-dimensional fighter but right when you get in the cage you know you go to what you know right and that's the judo and she yep. and she just overwhelmed that girl that she fought all right it's finally time <laughs> So I so this show is um, January eleventh, nineteen ninety three, at the Manhattan Center, and I wanted to kind of give a look at where the industry was at this point because in uh, January of nineteen ninety three, pro wrestling was not in very good shape. Um, I was looking at some numbers, like some attendance numbers, and I want to say though I'm not exactly 100% sure about this but I want to say like this time in wrestling as and we're talking um you know we're talking the, the big two right WWF and WWE or WCW I think it's been I think it's the coldest ever for the WWF at the time um in, in maybe the history since since Vince uh, expanded you know, we're talking from 84 to 93, so about 10 years. And business was just way down. I was looking at the uh, the business numbers in the Observer, and they were just decidedly down from the same time in both 91 and, and 92 as well. So this move to Raw, and also, the, you know, they created a show on the weekend that was a little bit more for kids called uh, Mania, WWF Mania. This move was definitely to try and uh, deliver uh, a more interesting product to, to because their their, you know, their fan base was dwindling. And you know what what's crazy is WCW in December of 1992 was averaging 
less than 1,000 fans per show. Like how 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 crazy is that, right? So we're talking about a super cold time in the industry. And it's almost like when you when you are at when you when you have this problem, like you obviously need to do something different. And I think raw was part of that. But I think there was also uh and we saw this, right? Because, you know, in the previous year you move away from Hogan um, you kind of have to move away from him because he's like negative news. But at the same time, by doing that, you know that the popularity of of what people know as WWF is probably going to go down because he was such a big star and synonymous with with your company. And so it's an opportunity to, you know, we just got done talking about this, like building new stars, creating new talent. You know, you see. Uh, obviously, it's Bret Hart, right? He's the guy who's got the belt. You see guys like Razor Ramon, who not not really new, but you know he he was he he'd been around, but just you know they're trying to bring him in as a new character to give him a little flavor. You see Yokozuna, who's uh, the first match on this show, and so there's just there's a decided um, a strategy to kind of be different and be younger and be a little bit more of like. Uh, cutting edge because you know the the ta- the tagline for this show is like uncut, uncensored, you know whatever whatever they they kept saying. But it was a bit of a preamble there because this is where I, what I'm actually going to talk about. In January of 1993, the two biggest stories are a Ric Flair is leaving WWF and cuts a deal with WCW to go back to WCW, and the reason is because. He and Vince McMahon pretty much have an agreement of sorts that says, you know, if 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 you're not going to be a main event guy here, then, you know, you you can you can sort of be free to, to, to negotiate with somebody else. And at this time, after Flair, you know, Flair's the champion for a good part of 1992, um, he is not going to be the top guy. Vince basically says we're going to move you down the card a little bit. You're not going to be in the main events. We're going to move you down. And Flair's like, okay, then I want to leave. And, and that's basically what happens is he signs with WCW. At the same time, Hulk Hogan starts doing media. Now, he had been kind of dormant. Like the Hulk Hogan story had been dormant for a while. And the steroid stuff, when he went on Arsenio Hall and said that he only used steroids a couple times and it was for, huh. you know, you know, for a training or whatever, whatever he said, which injury, I think it was, right? Yeah. And and which was not the strategy. Uh, Arsenio Hall's producer was like, uh, that wasn't exactly what we thought he was going to say because he had it differently. And so now he is trying to explain himself in, in some media interviews. Um, and, and he basically says, you know, they didn't give me enough time. When you have a short amount of time to do an interview like that, you know, you kind of, I, I didn't get to explain myself. So not like he was coming back to tell the truth necessarily, uh, but uh, he is, he is kind of it's seemingly finagling himself back into the public eye again. Um, and we will see him uh, in a couple months on, on, uh, on WWF TV. So, as I just said, you know, we're sort of going into this like younger thing, like like the two biggest stories at this point in time are on Hogan and Flair. So it's uh, 
while we're talking about Raw and this new thing, it's not like Vince was like gung ho as like, okay, you know, we're cutting ties with all these older guys and, you know, we're only going to bring in these younger guys because, you know, he does he does bring back Hogan. Flair goes back to WCW um, and he, you know, he turns baby face and, and all that stuff. So that's kind of where we're at in uh, in January of 1993. And so that leads us to the show. Now, when you turned it on and you saw Macho Man, Vince McMahon, Rob Bartlett, Macho Man is definitely trying to be like young and hip and cool. And Vince McMahon is definitely trying to oversell Rob Bartlett as like this comedic genius. And Rob Bartlett is not very good at all. <laughs> like when you're watching this show and you sort of see this, this is your new, you know, this is your new WWF, right? We hit the old WWF is primetime wrestling and we're getting rid of gorilla and we're getting rid of Bobby. The new WWF is macho man and Vince and Rob Bartlett and a live show and a Manhattan center audience. What did you think about that whole presentation? Once I saw Rob Bartlett, I was just, me went, ugh. So I know it's going to be a struggle when he's on color commentating or whatever he's doing. You know, he's just there, like, to be the edgy adult entertainment. You know, they're, 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 they're appealing. Raw is going to appeal more towards the adults, and they're supposed to be a little edgier with the show. Uh, Macho Man's role, you know, he's a babyface, and he's the, he's the homer, right? He's the guy that's rooting for all the baby faces and hates all the heels and, and Vince is just, you know, Vince is Vince and he's, and he's, he's steering the ship. So, I mean, I don't mind Vince and macho as much. I just, I just wish they had Bobby in that role. That was, that was just a waste of waste of whatever it is, five weeks or six weeks or hope it's not too long. I remember not being too long with Rob Bartlett in the, there, but, uh, I just was just, just remember reminding me how like, how like, how like, I didn't know who this guy was when I was a kid. And I didn't find his jokes funny at all. I thought they just were just they took away so much from the matches. I mean, not even one joke was funny. No, not one. Not one at all. I've never I've never seen a comedian in a role just go over like he's I mean, he's like uh, it was like Brandon Belt against Clayton Kershaw, like over 52 with like. 35 strikeouts like that was Bartlett's performance on this show and um a, a couple of things immediately come to come to the forefront which is he has no idea what this product is he doesn't know wrestling at all no. so so I'm assuming that Vince thought well I will guide him through this stuff and and you know sort of I, I will be able to make him and produce him into someone good um, did not happen this first show. I don't re really remember much after this. So we'll, as we get to the next shows, we'll sort of see if he improves or not. But, um, he also makes fun of all the talent. Like he was, I yeah. mean, he just, just, he did uh, Yokozuna is about, you know, about the diaper and about how fat he is and, uh, the Steiner brothers, he, he can't tell them apart. And, and, you know, Rick Steiner is so hairy and, um, just like, Really bad. And then the worst part of this whole show is I'm, I'm trying to remember. I think it's during the Shawn Michaels and the Max Moon match, which is actually a match that gets a good amount of time. Um, and, it's, you know, it's, it's a pretty good match for, for a TV match. He he decides to do a Mike Tyson impersonation 
And for like the first 10 seconds, I was like, okay, this is not terribly horrible. His Tyson impersonation isn't really good. And then he decided to do it for like five minutes. And I was just like, if I had a channel changer in my hand, I would have turned it off. Like I, I obviously stuck with it because we were talking about it, but that would have like sent me over the deep end. I was just like, unbelievable. How do you not produce him down to stop doing the stupid thing that is like just irritating everybody? Yeah. How does Vince not take his pencil and just stab him right in the hand? Like just tell him <laughs> shut up. Like, that's what I would have done. But uh, yeah, that's definitely, you know, it was a good, good television match that was ruined by the commentary. And um, even Yoko, like you have Yoko who's still very fresh. I think Yoko didn't, sh- I think he showed up like, what, November of 92 or October of 92. So he's still, you know, he's still just basically squashing people. Right. And here he squashes Yoko, Coco Beware. So like, here's where you want to get over Yoko, right? Here's you are going to put him over, but he's talked, you know, partly has to make his jokes about the weight of Yokozuna about Japanese jokes about sushi, about the thong of his gear. And it's just like, dude, come on, man. Like, this, you're, you're building this guy up to win the WF title in a few months, and you're having this jerk off say these horrible jokes, these racist jokes. Ugh, it was just, uh, you know, 2019 is very just off-putting. <laughs> you know. uh, I did like the fact that, you know, if you because I'm thinking about, like, okay, Vince, uh, obviously Vince knows where everything's going. I thought it was kind of cool that the guy that's going to main event WrestleMania as the challenger is in the first match on your mm-hmm. big, your big live TV debut. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, no, it's smart. You know, you want to keep featuring that guy. And um, like, like I said, the Yokozuna story as a kid, I just never saw thought that. He would. I, I thought he'd just be the monster built up for the the hero to be, not be the monster that wins the title. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> and holds and held and and holds it for a very long time. And we'll we'll talk about it as we get toward the Royal Rumble. But the entire time when I'm watching this, and I thought I was like a pretty smart fan back then. I'm like, oh, Savage and Bret Hart at WrestleMania, huh? Mm-hmm. That's actually pretty intriguing. I just, I just didn't think Yoko was going to win, and I felt stupid afterward. But I was like, "Wow, I kind of want to see Savage and, and Bret Hart." Not as dumb as Savage trying to cover you <laughs> for the pin in the Royal Rumble. Well. Um, so I think uh, I think the thing that also stood out to me, and this is kind of like them trying to figure their way around doing a live show. Um, and was it, I mean, was it fully live? Was it actually a hundred percent live? I'm not sure. That's, that's the question for big Dave. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure on that one. Yeah. The, cause I know that this in week two, they actually taped two shows because yep. the third show is a tape show because I think they're out on the West coast or something. Yeah. Um, I was, we'll talk about that when that airs and I have a special moment regarding that show in a couple weeks. So. Uh, and so you like, for instance, the running gag and the entire night is Bobby Heenan trying to get in the building and Sean Mooney, you know, getting befuddled by not being able to recognize him in, in different outfits and drag and stuff. But 
Heenan is shown on television trying to get in, saying that, you know, he needs to be on the show, he needs to be at Raw, and Sean Mooney's saying, like, no, he can't, he can't go in. Um, and then, like, when you see that segment, and then they do the match, and then it's cut to a taped promo with Bobby Heenan. So that was a little weird. That was like, okay, you guys haven't sort of figured this whole thing out yet, like, as far as, as what you want this show to be. Because obviously Heenan... Uh, he he teases uh, Narcissus, uh, mm-hmm. who's obviously going to be Lex Luger, and, and so he does a promo there. But we had just seen him five minutes earlier trying to get in the building, and he wasn't there. So I mean, Vince did say it was a taped promo, but it was, still was a little it was a little weird. Like they wouldn't do stuff like that anymore because you know they understand the whole thing a little bit better. But that but that was sort of jarring. And then they had a, they had a couple other ones like that too, where you know Tatanka does a taped thing, and then there's a couple of other taped things that don't really fit into what they're trying to do. But you know they're they're doing this thing on the fly for the first time. It was almost like a pilot. Like it was almost like or I'm I'm sorry, it was a pilot, but it was almost like. They didn't do like a like a test run of the show, and like this was like their test run, like live on television. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's definitely what it felt like. And I totally forgot that Narciss- Lex Luger's original name was Narcissus. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And uh, thank God they changed that. <laughs> um, okay, so let, let's talk about the matches. So four matches on the show. We already talked about Yoko versus Coco. So if you want to. Uh, if if you go to like bar trivia and it's like wrestling trivia night, that that could be a uh, question that you have an answer to. What is the very first match in Monday Night Raw history? It would be Yoko versus Coco. And you know what else? Rob Bartlett had the easiest joke if you want to make fun of Yokozuna, because um, you know Yoko Ono is kind of like the the like the most well known Yoko out there. He never said Yoko Ono one time. I was pretty frustrated by that. He's a hack. <laughs> um, okay, so now let's go to the second match, which is actually pretty interesting because um, Vince gets the Steiners. And the Steiner brothers are now uh, uh, on WWE TV. Um, they face off against the great team of the Executioners, who are not Playboy Buddy Rose. It is uh, Dwayne Hardy mm-hmm. and Barry Gill. Yep. I think yep. I think the executioners actually go on the road as the executioners as well. I'm sure they have. They you know they they wrestle you know they, they work multiple matches on TV tapings because they could do the gimmick with the, the the with the mask and they also do the gimmicks you know just as themselves. So and uh, yeah, Steiners did what they do: beat up job guys. Yeah, yeah, can't destroy job guys. Destroy them, and like it's, it's like when they get in the ring, it's like man, you can just see their eyes, like oh man, it's really <laughs> fun. And uh, it was nice to see stars. It's been a while since I seen like a, a Steiner match like that. Just a nice squash, and that God man, dude, that 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 uh, upside down into the corner that <laughs> Rick Steiner does, it just slams that guy midsection first in the top turnbuckle. Yeah, like yep. God, that one looked rough. And like it looked so, it looked so rough that he was Rick kind of like looked and like started laughing a little bit, like oh shit, I really just you know beat the shit out of this guy. It was it was uh, it was it was cool to see the Steiner brothers again. You know, what did you think about their run in WWE? Because it seemed letdown. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely seemed like a letdown. It was almost like um, Vince didn't really know exactly the the right way to 
book them or maybe it's just, you know, he, he tag teams were never the priority, I, I, I guess, because he had, you know, all the, the great ones and they were sort of, you know, mid card, upper mid card stuff. But there was a clear like it, it was very clear how they got over in WCW and became like the it tag team. Right. Like it like that. That whole playbook was there. And uh, and Vince like. It was almost like Vince was like, well, this is just the way that we book babyface tag teams and we're not going to change the way that we do it. And thus, you know, the Steiners never really got over to to I feel like, I almost feel like it was like a wasted. What were they there for? Like two years? Yeah, something like that. Like, well, I think. Yeah, two years, because it's like, well, yeah, by the yeah, by the time. Yeah, you're right. Because like the end of 92 to like the end of 94 or, or you know, summer of 94, basically, I think they were gone. So yeah, a little 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 less than two years, but um, yeah, I I think it might have been one of those things where it's not Vince's creation, yeah, and so thus he's not really that invested. Um, I don't know if he saw much personality in Scott, and at the time Scott didn't have much personality, but he was kind of just like you know at least we don't we at least we didn't see it on camera then, but uh, but you know Rick always had a personality. I think Rick could have been a great WWF character, you know. For Vince, you know the, the dog faced gremlin. Um, they never really built up a, a quest for them to win a championship to where like he got invested behind it. Like they first won the titles at some random house show and they flipped it a couple times with Money Incorporated. Like that didn't even air on TV. So like it wasn't really or a pay per view. It wasn't really built up to where like oh man Steiners are going for the championship for the first time and you know and like it's going to be a big match and they win it and you remember it. Like it just was like they kind of won it on the house show. And then they had that really great match with the heavy bodies at SummerSlam '93, and then they they quickly soon after that lost it to the Global Backers, and they just really didn't do much after that. So there was also this running gag all show long with Doink the Clown, and mm-hmm. a lot of people really liked that character. I was never a big fan of the clown. Uh, I just it, it was it's just not sort of my style of what I like about wrestling. Um, but it did allow uh, Bartlett to you know to make some jokes about the clown, and he starts calling them Dork the Clown, and uh, he makes like a dick joke that goes like I, I I think Vince like started talking right as he's like basically making a dick joke about the word dork. And uh, I don't know if it went over Vince's head or Vince just started talking and didn't hear him. But that kind of went <laughs> Bartlett definitely tried to go there and, and, and no one really paid attention to it. But what did you think of uh, of them just showcasing Doink like all show long? Well, Doink was a very a favorite of Vince, right? That character getting that off the ground, uh, you know, just establishing a new character because he Doink just started too in late 92. So he's a still fresh new character and the antics of doink when i was a kid and when i first saw doink it was immediately paul bear status for me like oh no like (laughs) this is you know if my dad's not gonna show up while i'm watching paul bear cut this promo with undertaker and make fun of me watching this wrestling crap he's gonna show up during the doink match right and like oh my god what is this crap you watching this isn't that right so he but I end up liking the heel doink character, mm-hmm. like the music, the creepiness. I mean, Matt Bourne was fantastic at that character, and and then the, and the double doinks and stuff like that. I thought, that. I thought that was really cool. Once he turned babyface, I was out. I was like, I was it. 
I was tired of it within a few months. Yeah. And then he was just that. And he was around for a very, very long time after that. And I think the change, I mean, Matt Bourne, you know, being fired and then, and then, then putting, um, multiple characters in that. I think what Phil Apollo was a guy. And then there was, you know, Steve Lombardi was a guy. Mm-hmm. Like, like just, the, it just, for me, never really connected. And then they had Dink and Yeah. But yeah, that, but at the time, you know, I think it's a, it was a good move how they did it. They didn't have a wrestle match on the first show, but they show him in the background and and do his little wacky things, and they come on later in the end. You know, it's a good, I think it was a good move they did with him. So Vince teases that there's an NFL player who wants to wrestle, and the guy's name is Mitch Ferrat. Now, there was a f- sort of semi-famous uh, football player who was a backup quarterback for the Washington Redskins, and I, then I think he became the starter. His name was Gus Ferrat, and I was like, who's Mitch Ferrat? And I looked him up. Buffalo Bills offensive lineman, but I don't, I don't remember <laughs> if anything ever happened with Mitch Ferrat. Once I heard that on the show, I was like, yeah, that guy dropped fast because I don't <laughs> remember ever hearing that name. Like, I don't me- never remember anything about that guy wrestling or trying wrestling. And then Macho Man also uh, also mentions that uh, baseball player Tito Landrum is in the office and, and then is in the is in the audience. And then he also used that to say, see, everybody who's anybody who's anybody is here based off of and, Tito and you know Landrum. Who, and you know who else was in the audience? Who was in the audience? A young Mikey Whipwreck in the front row going crazy. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, another ECW alumni from. Way back when, uh, I think probably, and then I think it's one of his buddies growing up, Paul Loria wasn't there too. As well. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, the match we talked about where uh, Bartlett kind of ruined it was uh, Shawn Michaels and uh, hmm. and Max Moon. And you, you can sort of tell, like, if you, if you want to do, if you want to do your own sort of uh, rating system, if Vince McMahon is on commentary... The amount of times he goes, what a maneuver, meaning he doesn't know what the hell to call the move that just happened, probably going to get a pretty darn good match. Like, the more what a maneuvers, the better for match. <laughs> so I almost wonder if, like, we should create a, like, what a maneuver ratio and see and see if it holds up to uh, our our uh, our likes uh, of how good the match was. Or but, a drinking game. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, so... Uh, HBK, he comes out, and it's the Sherry theme song, the Sherry version of the theme song. Uh, they're leading into Royal Rumble, where he is facing Marty Jannetty, and part of the storyline is which corner is Sherry going to be in. I always thought it was silly when they did stuff like this, because it was pretty clear that, you know, Marty's going to come out looking dumb at the end. But... Um, uh, there's a weird instance in this match where I think it's Bartlett asks Vince if Sean's going to be at the Rumble. And Vince is like, I'm not sure it's to be announced or he says something. And I'm like, I swear it's already been stated that he's facing Janetti at the show. Like that was kind of I don't I wonder if Vince like got caught off guard or something. He probably did. It was. <laughs> but they just they took so much so much away from the match. Like, and these guys were having a, a, a good, good match. And this is probably one of the f- only matches that of note of that, of Max, the Max Moon character, right? It had to be this, this show here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my favorite part of this match 
is when Sean hits the the super kick or the sweet chin music, mm-hmm. and he doesn't slap his leg. That was my yep. favorite part. Go figure. <laughs> what did you think of his finisher at this point? I like the crotch suplex. I thought that was pretty. I mean, it sounds kind of weird saying that, but you know, the crotch hold suplex. It's a good move. It's basically the angle slam, really. Yeah, it's a nice suplex. It really is, and I think people should bring it back. And and uh, you know, a lot of people now they do the angle slam, right? If you're gonna do that kind of suplex, it's a big angle slam, which is a you know fantastic suplex in itself as well. But yeah, I remember he had that. He had the pile driver too. A lot of people remember that mm-hmm. early on. It was so he was kind of finding his way with this uh, with the heartbreak kid character, and then he's finally settled on the super kick, which. You know, he was the best at it because he finished guys with it, with one. Yep. That's why he was the best. Yep. <laughs> and and so it's pretty clear that um, there, there, there's a lot a lot in, in good old HBK's future here. Vince is putting him over. Uh, he, he looks great. He looks like a superstar. I think he's the one guy on this show when I when I was done watching and I went, okay, like he looks like – like, he is someone that I want to turn the TV back on. I want to come back next week if Shawn Michaels is is on the show. Um, obviously, The Undertaker's in the main event, but, you know, The Undertaker's a different style of character. Um, he He's he's only, what, so they're, they're about a year and a half, not even a year and a half, just over a year into the, uh, no, it is, it is well, Undertaker came in in 1990, right? So Summer Survivor, yeah, Survivor yeah. 1990, so... We're two and a half, two, a little bit over two years in the Undertaker run. And so he's not like that legendary character quite yet, but he's definitely like part of the new wave of WWE. And he's going to be, you know, already is uh, one of their top guys. Uh, he faces off against the great Damien Demento. Tell me about Damien Demento. I first saw Damien Demento when he was Mondo Clean. In this promotion, two promotions. I remember you remember the old Sunshine Network or the Sports Channel Network. Yeah, the the Florida stuff. Yeah, so they would have like of various different independent wrestling shows on, and I would catch like IWCC uh, before that was ICW, then became IWCCW because they merged with World Class Championship Wrestling that that never went anywhere, but. And then um, there was uh, South Atlantic Pro Wrestling, which I actually liked. Um, and there was the International Wrestling Federation of Florida. And it was just done at the Universal Studios. And so it had a like, pretty good production behind it. They had all these, like, knockoff guys. They had the Dynamites, which was like the Rock and Roll Express. They had the Bad Boys, right, the Nasty Boys. You had Cliff Anderson. <laughs> Um, and the main heel, the champ, the champion was Bondo Clean, and he had the same exact look as he had in WWE. He had a very distinct voice and promo. Um, he was definitely a lot muscular then than he was in this business match here. I've noticed his body changed greatly since Park prices are probably a little hard on drug testing at this point, mm-hmm. right? So, so, um, so yeah, he was just a, yeah, I think Mon- Mondo Clean uh, slash Damian DeBento would have been really good for them in the eighties. Like, mm-hmm. and, you know, a good guy that's built up and does a little, does a little circuit with Hogan on the house shows and loses, you know, 
because um, he really didn't know much of note. I remember when he came in, I was excited because I knew who he was. And I remember seeing him on his shows, and I was like, oh, cool, they got Mondo Queen and Damien Demento from the outer reaches of your mind, right, or something like that. So weird. <laughs> so weird, but I kind of I kind of digged it, you know. Like when I managed uh, this team called Ego uh, with AJ Kirsch and Nate Rules, Nate Rules had this – Damien Demento kind of looked like he got all jacked and he had like these, the road warrior Hawk spiked haircut that he kept on even after he wrestled, which was funny. Uh, <laughs> <Nate>. <laughs> I mean, I hope he doesn't have it anymore, but like Nate, Nate is a special character, right? God bless him. I love that guy, man. And, um, and so I took a line from night WCW Halloween Havoc night. 1990, right? It's like, and they would, and they're promoting the the commercial for Halloween Havoc, and there's like borderlining on the edge of insanity. So like, when my intro, because I would do the Jim Cornette thing, yeah, introducing your tag team, and so for Nate Rules, I would say, and borderlining on the edge of insanity, Nate Rules, and the only person that got that reference was my good friend Tom Caster God. <laughs> like, and it was like, our cool, like, yeah. You know, like, and I decided to you know, use that in my intro. And I always got to kick it. I would love to say that line during during my during that intro for Nate Rules. So, That's awesome. So I I wish I had Out of Reaches. Of your, I wish I remembered Out of Reaches of Your Mind because I wanted to use that too because I, I loved it. For, for that character, it works, right? He's, like, he's a very uh, wacky, uh, uh, crazy character. Yeah, so yeah. It's just, it's it just, he just came late. He should have been, he should have been an 85, 86, right? Or 87. But so I think the thing that as I'm watching this match, the thing that I thought was not that this is like a main event, but it is, it is a match where someone like Damien Demento, the only time you would see him on TV is winning squash matches. And yeah, if you went to a house show in your hometown, it's possible he would lose to one of the hot baby faces, but you would never see him lose on TV. And so with Monday Night Raw, they have to have somebody compelling in the main event and you're putting him against The Undertaker and he's going to lose the match. But mm-hmm. in in the just in the previous iteration of WWF, we as fans are probably never going to really see him lose unless we saw a live house show match or maybe you know, maybe at a pay-per-view he would lose, but really like because of what they're trying to do with Monday Night Raw, you want a somewhat competitive match and thus he's got to lose and do the job. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what he was there for. And that I mean, other than this match and a and a quick appearance in the ninety in the ninety three Rumble, like he wasn't on TV much after this, and I think he just kinda did stuff on house shows that was never made tape and he just ended up, you know, end up being released you know something you know he's i don't know if you i don't know if you remember like he i don't know about five or six years ago maybe a little longer like he had like his own youtube channel and he would cut like these very like anti wwe promos and anti you know just really talk trash about stuff and he would be in this whole character get that really unique voice and he'd be in this damian demento character mondo queen character and and um, so I don't know. Maybe he was a headache too. You know what I mean? Like I, I can imagine. I just from those promos, from the funny stuff on YouTube we did, I can just imagine he can kind of be kind of difficult to work with. And they're like, you know what? 
what do we need this guy for, right? Yeah, yeah. We we need we need to get him on the podcast, is what you're saying. Do you probably have yeah, <laughs> Um so what do you mean I'm a character? <laughs> oh shoot, sorry. So the so the uh the one thing that uh, I thought was so we we talk about kind of like first impressions and you know you have your first opportunity to make this big splash. Bret Hart is not on this show and he's your world champion. Yep, yep, yep. That's that was interesting, but I think what they're trying to do is people know Bret Hart, right? Let's use this vehicle, this new show to feature what we have coming in the future. Yoko Razor had a promo, right? So you know, the Steiner brothers at the time are still new, so they're featured them, and uh, you're building up Shawn Michaels as one of your top deals. So, yeah, I thought that was I thought that was unique to you. I would definitely have Brett on it. I probably would have had Brett in the main event, honestly. Like, yeah, Damian Demento, absolutely. But I think maybe they just thought, you know, Vince. I mean, I mean Undertaker Monster versus Damian Demento Monster is just kind of how they booked back then. So I think that's what they went with, but. So before they get to the final segment, Vince does like the weirdest thing. And he says next week on Raw, Woody Allen versus Mia Farrow. (laughs) Yeah. What in the hell was he thinking? It's it's the Rosie O'Donnell. uh, What do they do like like 10 years later? Donald Trump. And yeah, Donald Trump. Right. So they do that. So it's basically the same thing. Like he's trying to. Get on something that's a hot media topic right now. The yeah, whole media, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, Woody Allen and his, you know, that whole story with his, do- you know, daughter now wife and and uh, Mia Farrow and all that stuff. And uh, so they, you know, that was a hot topic in the news, right? That was very, oh yeah, very big. So he's jumping on it a little bit to get some, get some rub off that kind of story and just kind of make some. Guys, attention! That, but no, no one picked up. The media probably said that. Eh, that's the yeah. bullshit. Yeah, this is stupid. Um, yeah, but but it's raw, right? That's that's considered raw. Don't forget also about the raw, the girls, right? The oh yeah, girls, the ring girls, uh, the ring girls. Which is funny because I remember, God, a couple years ago, maybe a year, two years ago, three years ago, I remember Jeff Cobb, you know, stayed over at my house for a show. I think it might be for a premiere show or something like that. And we were watching like old Raws from '93, <laughs> and we would just say night that. Yeah, she was '90s hot. Like, <laughs> we were just, so we had like the hashtag '90s hot for a while. It was pretty funny. <laughs> so the end of the show is uh, Doink uh, is out to do interview, and he's bad mouthing Crush. So Crush comes out <laughs> with that terrible accent. Like he didn't really speak like that, right? I know. I should ask my. Bu- well, I should ask Cobb. I should ask Kaimana, my buddy from uh, Hawaii, from. Uh, Great, great guy, great wrestler. Um, I just asked him about the the, the crush promo of uh, the opening night of uh, the first night of Raw because I've I know like he is really heavy on the because the Hawaiian the Hawaiian crush right yeah the crush yeah so they're like really like getting that over and uh, but it's like sounded it's just like off putting now like it's like this you know I, did you did you like Kona Crush. Um, I would say that it was, it was too, it was almost a little bit too childish for me at that point. Cause you know, I'm already like, you know, what am I 16 or 17 at this point? It was a little childish. 
but you know the 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 feud that he had with Savage uh, the following year, I kind of got into him a little bit. I thought that was okay, um, and uh, and yeah, like you know, I think he was uh, he was really good in like one of the Super Nintendo games though. Like he was like <laughs> a really good guy to use. Uh, but yeah, I mean, eh, not not not. I mean, you know, he he was he was always sort of like. Gosh, if he if he got it together, he could be he could be really a really big star because he was so big and strong, and he was you know a pretty good looking guy. But he was just kind of like colorless in a way. Uh, where though he had bright though he had bright color. Uh, yeah, right, right. Like he had the shiny <laughs> the shiny orange and stuff. But yeah. just like his personality was so colorless, like he didn't he didn't ever come across as like charismatic. Yeah, I I, I mean I really liked him. And uh, when he when he was a new demolition member, I thought he was. Uh, yeah, that was, was that was pro- probably his best. That was probably the best usage of him. I'm probably like the yeah, I'm probably like one of the few guys that actually really thought, dug a third member of demolition and and I know like I really like demolition, but I think I thought he added some some usefulness to that team. You know, it didn't last long, and then he went back to Portland. Uh, probably just like we don't have enough for you right now. Go back and work the indies in portland and then you know fresh up your game will bring it back and they did and i remember being excited that oh rush is back but i didn't like i got like i was excited to see him back he shows up and i remember like thinking like not digging the bright orange and and purple and then that head crush finisher yeah i just not then all of a sudden i was like out on crush i was like ah never mind but i did enjoy the heel turn with savage it, it, i remember it being a really good beatdown on Savage, that whole like throwing him his post, you know, throat first on the guardrail, stuff like that. And I like when he started wearing a face paint again. I got a little got into him a little more, but Crush always seemed like a guy for me that always like was didn't reach his potential that I thought he would. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree. Um, so uh, there's a funny there's a funny uh, little write up in the Observer about the show. Um, Dave writes that, uh, one of his readers happened to be running by the Manhattan center between periods of, uh, the Rangers game on mm-hmm. that, on that show. And so, uh, Sean, Sean Mooney asked him to stay and pretend that they were buying tickets so that they were the people buying tickets for next week as, as Heenan tried to get into the building, uh, dressed <laughs> as the rabbi. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so Gahinan dressed up as a woman, as uh, Rob Bartlett's aunt, and then as uh, as the rabbi, as I think Rob Bartlett's uncle or something, trying to get in. And then show ends, and then of course they let they let Heenan in the building, uh, but the show was over. So that was kind of the running gag of the week. And look, like Heenan was fantastic, right? Like it was a, probably a poor usage of him, but he was like a hundred percent, like all the way in on on that what they were trying to have him do. But it was like also like when they sh- when he was eating these segments, it reminds you how entertaining it was. Oh like, yeah! And then they go to the matches and we're stuck with that Bartlett jerk off, and it's like, dude, come on, man! I know you wanted to change things up, but this is not the way to do it. You know, yeah. like put Bobby in there. Bobby playing off Macho, playing off Vince would have been good. Really yeah, good. It would be really good. Um, all right, so that's that's the uh, the end of the Raw review. We'll we'll do episode two next week. 
And I'm, I, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm looking forward more to watching Raw next week uh, from 1993 than I am necessarily watching the current version of the product. So it helps that it's only one hour. So that that's that's kind of fun. Yeah. But and and like I said, you know, the thing the thing is, is I watched them when they were on, and I never rewatched them. So a lot of this is like I remember little bits and pieces, but a lot of it is like brand new to me. So I, I it's almost like I'm coming in it with uh, fresh eyes. Yeah, me too. It's been a while. I mean, I know, but I, I, I was funny. I was going through, scrolling down to get episode one of Raw, and I, I noticed some check marks on some of the uh, some of the shows. And I think that was the time that Cobb was over. We were watching <laughs> '90s Hot uh, Girls on uh, Monday Night Raw. So. <laughs> All right, before we get out of here, give me a, a quick uh, sixty second update. How are the kids doing? Kids are doing good. Chloe, yeah, Hunter's, he's great. He's starting to get close to crawling. He's getting the movement down. He's starting to, you know, he wants to always wants to flop on his belly. And, you know, he's such a happy little baby. So thank goodness for that. And then Chloe, that terrible threes, man. I don't know how many times we had to tell her not to do this, not to do that, not to do this, not to do that. But then uh, she's such a sweetheart, too. It's like, oh, man, I really like... Like I miss her. Like I miss. Well, I miss both everyone. But I like. I, there's just something about her little like hugs and her little voice that just kind of like. I mean, I got. I, I like today. I was like, man, I really miss the kids. I really want to go home from work and give them all hugs and kisses. So but yeah, she's doing good, and she's gonna be starting dance class on January 14th. Oh wow! So, yeah, we signed her up, and uh, she's super pumped. And we're going to go to the first class. I'll probably be the only dad there crying. <laughs> but we're only going this – is, this is what I'm probably really going to cry about. We're going to be there for 10 minutes, and we got to leave. Oh, wow. And it's like a 55-minute class, and we got to come back. So I'll be outside the door. Yeah, yeah. I don't want anyone to be How there. is she going to react to that? I'm a little worried about that. But then again, she loves other – you know other kids so i think she might be just distracted by like all right but then like you know, we're gonna have the whole gang show up it's gonna be you know me ma and pops and yeah you know, i'm sure the whole the whole town of san jose <laughs> might be there to see chloe first <laughs> tap dance class but she's she's been you know trying on the tap shoes doing a little dance so you know she loves music and, and dancing so she's i think she's really gonna excel at it so i'm happy that's good. So the only, the only update with me is um, my youngest, who uh, basically played basketball for all of his school teams up until his junior year because he was just sort of, I think he was just burnt out on basketball. He'd been playing it for so many years. So he took the year off. I was kind of bothered because... It's some basketball is something that you really need to keep continue getting better and better and better with. But I think he's a little frustrated, so he took the year off. And then he's like, "Oh, you know, I'm going to try out when I'm a senior." And so he tries out, and the coach, which a lot of coaches do this, if they unless they see the senior as like the big stud on the team, they often will, are like you know want younger players because they kind of want to grow kids into their program. And he's a brand new coach. So JJ was a little bit like, mm, I don't know if I want to play. And the coach was like, you know, I, I think the coach was trying to test him a little bit, but he was like, yeah, you know, you're a senior. You may not play that much. 
you know, I, 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 will, I would rather play the younger kids because I'll have them for more. And so JJ was like, uh, I'm good. And I was like, you actually didn't, didn't, the guy said you made the team and you didn't want to prove him wrong. Like, what is the matter with you? And I think it was kind of like a pride hit for him because he's always used to sort of being like one of the best players on the team. And so fast forward like two months and uh, the, there's like, I don't know if there's a mutiny, but there's definitely like a couple people who are like, I'm not about this and I'm quitting. So they're like down to like seven players. And so my kid who already told this dude he did not want to play for him goes to one of the games and is like, hey, coach, you need need another guy? And I guess he's playing on the team now. So his senior senior year, he found a way to take off all of the hard practices before the season starts to then play uh, during the season. Now, I'm going to be very interested to see how he takes the tough love in the beginning because if I'm that coach... I am not playing him like at all for like two or three games just to see if he if he decides that he doesn't want to keep coming out. But um, but yeah, so I, it's it's pretty. I think they still got like ten or twelve games left. So he'll I want to know what I want to know what happened. Yeah, I think it's just a bunch of kids who thought they were going to play just were not playing, and so then they just decided not to play. Uh, they decided not to play, or the parents pulled them. Uh, good question. I I don't know. Maybe maybe a little bit of both. Yeah, yeah. interesting. All right. Next time I see JJ, I'm 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 grilling him. <laughs> yeah, cute. I know, I know. So yeah, so he's playing, and and look, it. We've been a basketball family since they were since Brian was in the fifth grade. You know, this time every year we've been going to basketball games, traveling all over the Bay Area to watch them play and take them to games. So we the last two years we haven't really done that that much so it's kind of weird and you know there's a there's a reno tournament a reno aau tournament that i was always at like three years in a row and we haven't been there for a while so i was like kind of missing it but i was like yeah that's just what happens you know but now he's back and so he's i think his first game is on friday though i I have to actually be in the office that day so i can't go but i'll i'll be at the majority of his games driving all over the bay area to uh to watch him so i'm hoping that you know the coach is gonna give us a tough love won't play him all of a sudden this one this kid that he just loves just comes up limping oh and he has to pull in jj and then jj's like on fire i'm talking about clay thompson (laughs) shooting threes looking at his hand he's going crazy (laughs) they make a big comeback they win the game people are throwing jj on his shoulders cheerleader on top row of the triangles give a wink like that's what i want to see that's a story i want to book it man you know you just described the very first episode of happy days oh maybe that was a little <laughs> <laughs> well teen well, yeah that's it's it's a trope it's 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 a it's a trope that's been used often but yeah that's yeah. that's literally man, i don't want to see jj turned to a werewolf i just i just got also michael j fox came to my eye right now like, yeah <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, it'll be fun. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But okay, so next week we will talk about uh, the second episode of Raw, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll get we'll get back into it. It's a fun time, and I, I'm digging reading the observers again from back then. So it's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's fun, man. Looking forward to watching. Uh, I've been watching on Monday nights, which 
that's been the fun thing to do. So, yeah, actually, I think I did too. I think I watched it Monday as well. Yeah. So, can't wait for the next episode. All right. So for John LaRocca, I'm Double G. We'll see you when we see you. Peace out.